is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. This week we're going to be talking about the online publication called The Daily Maverick, which in November now is celebrating its 10th year. Also importantly, one year celebration of its innovative membership program. And with me in the studio is Tilly Haralambus, who is the co-founder and CEO of The Daily Maverick. And I wonder if you have seen The Daily Maverick and if you have, in fact, read it in this day of fake news. It's always good to know that there's someone you can rely on. So I'm being very polite, Tilly, as we begin. Welcome, and it's good to have you here. Thank you, Rodney, for the introduction and the politeness. <laughs> ten years. I know that Daily Maverick has been around, but I wouldn't have thought ten years yet. That's quite a quite a landmark in the world of journalism these days, isn't it? Yeah, 10 years in digital media can feel like uh, 70 human years. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, uh, and uh, it's, it's a tough space. It's a tough industry. And uh, within that, digital media has really struggled to figure out a sustainable business model. Uh, and so we've been through it all. You know, we were born in the Zuma era, in the digital media conundrum era. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a challenging time. It must be a very challenging time for journalists and newspaper editors because, as we know, certain newspapers and publications are owned by consortiums that pretty well dominate or control their editorial content. And I think, am I right in saying that the Daily Maverick is free of that sort of interference? Absolutely. Uh, We have no outside interference in our editorial process. We pride ourselves on being, you know, really independent and fiercely independent. So, um, you know, we've never bowed to advertisers or shareholders, um, you know, when it's come to publishing what we feel uh, should be published. Mm -hmm. And do you have a good circulation? Do you get good feedback? Yeah, we get great feedback. I mean, we've uh, just crossed a couple of milestones for us in terms of audience numbers. Um, We crossed 2 million unique visitors to our website in a single month for the first time, uh, which which was really good. And uh, our newsletters do really well for us in terms of, um, you know, keeping our loyal readers engaged and, uh, you know, giving them enough uh, that they can consume an email or bring them back to the website. And so that's been a really big one for us. Are your journalists full time or how does that work? What sort of staff do you have? Yeah, so we've got uh, we've had a bit of an explosion in headcount in the last year, uh, (laughs) which is not really a problem too many uh, news media organizations have around the world. We've almost doubled in size. So we've got about 75 people that are working for Daily Maverick at the moment, about just 10 or 12 of those are part time and the rest all full time. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a core of the team that are uh, permanently employed and they'll work on the different sections and the majority of those people are editorial. Is it based in Cape Town or where is there an office? Is there a Daily Maverick office being bearing in mind that you're on the digital platform when there's visions of you sitting in, in your bedrooms at home and studies working away? Yeah, it seems our WhatsApp group is uh, the virtual office uh, where everyone stays uh, connected between the Joburg and the Cape Town office. Um, Joburg has an editorial team that works out of an office there and uh, Cape Town has sort of uh, built up a bit of a head office feel to it because of you know some of the non-editorial members that are that are there so finance and membership and you know uh, product and, and technical so and the the publication is pretty broad and you do sport and art and politics and all sorts of things one expects 
in a daily newspaper. Yeah, I think in the last year we've really added to the breadth of the content that we cover. We obviously, for the first you know eight years or so, uh, it was really about carving out a niche and um, building the brand around something and becoming known uh, for you know doing something really well. And so the focus was on current affairs and politics and uh, adding investigations to that uh, as we managed to access more funding for for dedicated investigators to come on board. And then in the last year, we've added the business section, business maverick. We've added a lifestyle section, um, a civil society coverage section, a food section, and uh, a climate crisis section as well, uh, which is quite important to us. So we've really added quite a lot of uh, of breadth uh, to, to the publication this year. Because the whole idea of an online publication, this is fairly new or was fairly new in South Africa, wasn't it? We, had, we hadn't had anything like this before. Yeah, I mean, there, there were uh, news publications that were online, and Mail and Guardian actually came out in 1994, I believe, was the first time they published anything online. And uh, But when we came out, there was still this sort of people were keeping all their good stuff, uh, whatever good stuff was available for their print product or their products that, you know, where they made their money and, and you know, still trying to figure out the whole digital ecosystem. Um, there was a space for us to kind of, you know, really put really good quality, long-form journalism, which people thought wouldn't work online, and making that available for free. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was, it's definitely more people have come into that space uh, in the last 10 years. But when we started, there were sort of few players testing things out, and, and it's exploded since then. And how is it structured? Do you have an editor, a kind of national editor? Yes, we've got a, an editor-in-chief uh, who works very closely with the managing editors um, uh, for the core operation. There's two of them. And then there's each of these new publications or sections that I that I just mentioned uh, were built around an editor running each of those and then reporting into the, the editor-in-chief. So it's, kind of, it's structured like that, almost sort of self-contained silos so that they can kind of work alongside each other and, you know, just. Uh, and then communicate and, and keep in touch with other when those times invariably happen where there's a crossover in, in coverage. You mentioned about the headcount and all that. Are most of the people full-time or do you have lots of freelancers? Yeah, so there's a core team that uh, are mostly full-time. I'd say there's you know, there's uh, 50-odd people in, in the editorial team that are full-time with us, so including journalists and interns and uh, you know backroom editorial staff, for example. And then there's a network of contributors that have worked with us uh, over the course of the last decade that we've come to appreciate and have become regulars and we publish them under the opinion section uh, on the site. I want to find out in a moment more about how it came into being, what caused it to be um, launched in the first place. But as always on this program, we ask our guests to choose music. So, Stilly, what is your first piece of music? The first piece of music is one that I've been uh, listening to a bit uh, recently, and that's the uh, acoustic version of uh, Take On Me by AHA. Um, and it, uh, it was played on a, on a, on a series that I was watching and it kind of just reminded me and took me back to that time. I mean, they're a big sort of 80s, 90s band, uh, from, from Europe. And, uh, this acoustic version was released recently, um, which I really, uh, really enjoyed. And also because I read, uh, recently this news, other newsletter that I subscribed to called, uh, AHA One Hit Wonder and, uh, which I strongly <laughs> disagree with. Um, so that's my first choice. Talking away, oh, I don't 
I'm to say I'll say it anyway. Today is another day to find you shying away. I'll be coming for your love, okay, and take on me. Take me on. I'll be gone in a day or two. To say I'm odds and ends, but that's me. I'm stumbling away, slowly learning that life is okay. And say after me, it's no better to be safe than sorry. And I'm taking. You say, "Is it life or just to play my worries away?" You're all the things I've got to remember. You're shying away. I'll be coming for you anyway. Take on me. By the group Aha, Take on Me, and the acoustic version, specially chosen by my guest on People of Note this week, Stili Haralambus. Stili is the CEO and co-founder of the Daily Maverick, which in this month, November, is celebrating its 10th anniversary. And we spoke quite a lot about the structure, Stili, of this uh, publication, a digital publication. But I'm most intrigued to know how it came about, because we've had these big titles in South Africa for so long. You must have been very brave to set up something like this. How did it come about? So technically, I can call myself a co-founder, but uh, this really all started from my editor-in-chief, Branko Brickich, who has a long history in, in publishing 
um, both in his native Yugoslavia and then in South Africa when when he was forced uh, to leave the country. And uh, he ran Maverick Magazine, which was a sort of a a cult-like followed magazine, independent magazine, and that folded in 2008. And from that, from the embers of that, really, he uh, managed to convince uh, some of the editorial team to go again and to go in digital. And he saw the future as digital. And uh, and he saw it also as a way for an independent publisher to be able to circumvent the physical constraints of breaking through, you know, the supply chain and all the uh, and all the elements that are controlled by the by the established uh, media players. And so, with those barriers to entry removed, um, he convinced uh, Alan Nodcraig uh, Jr. to give him some seed funding for the project. And uh, Alan and I are old university friends. And he introduced me to Branco and said, well, you know, these guys uh, um, are a bunch of journalists and editors. And they could use someone with a bit of business experience, you know, would you consider sort of helping them out? Mm. And uh, that's how that was basically the um, the context of the coffee meeting that I had with Branco a month before we launched. And uh, I agreed to come on, you know, come on board, um, help raise some funding, help look after the business side of it in a part time capacity. And then sort of, you know, it snowballed from there. So, Silly, what were you doing before this happened, before that coffee meeting? What, what, I mean, what is your background, basically? Yeah, so I'm a reformed accountant. Uh, <laughs> a and, reformed. Uh, yeah, I'd, uh, after finishing my articles uh, with Deloitte in Johannesburg, I left to work in the UK for a couple of years. I went to go find a, a wife, which I did, <laughs> and then convinced her to come back to South Africa. I had a sort of an entrepreneurial flair that was calling and and uh, begging me to come out and so I came back and uh, it was uh, just sort of put myself in that place to to work on a couple of startups and uh, some of them didn't go anywhere and at the time things were stalling and that's when I reached out to to my friend Alan I said hey what else have you got on the cards and he introduced me to to Branco and this media opportunity which Frankly, I didn't really know much about uh, the media at that at that time. Yes, because you're not a journalist or anything, are you? You're a businessman first and foremost. Correct. Uh, but I, I did uh, do my fair share of writing uh, in, in, in time. You know, and okay. so it's like the restaurant owner who needs to you know serve uh, <laughs> wait on tables. Um, so I, you know, I quickly helped out with a bit of writing, as you know, any startup, and you know, you you do whatever it takes mm-hmm. uh, kind of mentality, and and it's a great creative outlet. So, and I really enjoy that. So are you glad you are a reformed accountant and that you're now in the cut and thrust, which I think we can say, world of journalism? Yeah, I mean, there's moments when uh, when the sort of the, the life of an accountant seems appealing. Um, <laughs> mostly that's around the 25th of the month is when, uh, you know, when having to, to get another payroll through the door, when the, the life of a salaried employee seems a lot more appealing. Um, but yeah, there's a few other times and, and, you know, I've been able to put my skills to, to use in, in running a startup and a very lean one that required multi-talented, uh, efforts from both of us to, to keep the business going. And tell me a bit about your, your editor, your managing editor, whose name, like yours, is quite difficult to pronounce. Yes. So apparently you need an incredibly tough, uh, surname to be working at the Daily Maverick. <laughs> and that's, that was the, uh, prerequisite for being a founder. Uh, so Branko Brikic, uh, yeah, an extraordinary man, um, from Yugoslavia, um, published a book about, uh, Slobodan Milosevic and a few days later found himself drafted into the civil war. 
which he didn't take to be a coincidence and uh, also didn't uh, believe in, in being part of that civil war. So uh, reached out to the first place that would take him, which was South Africa, and then um, arrived here with uh, with a very thick accent and not much English and very little money and, uh, you know, worked his way into the publishing industry again until he was, you know, able to start a couple of really good magazines. And, um, and then, yeah, eventually our paths crossed. At that coffee meeting. Yeah. <laughs> it really does have a bit of a colorful background there for the Daily Maverick, doesn't it, and getting going. And did you have much opposition from the big titles? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we definitely got the vibe from, from them and they, they've been expecting and calling our demise every year. And I think every year that we make another year, they go, they shake their heads and go, how the hell is this even possible and, mm-hmm. and happening? And, uh, you know, we've had some, um, uh, I would say underhanded tactics employed against us. Um, you know, people have tried to recruit, uh, our staff en masse. Uh, during one of the biggest investigations uh, you know this country's ever had, which we didn't really think was uh, appropriate, um, ethical. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, and and people have started uh, publications with a specific uh, uh, focus of of trying to neuter the Daily Mavericks progress. Um, so you know we kind of take it as you know a compliment, and we just keep on doing our thing, and you know just carry on doing what we're doing, and uh, hopefully raising the bar of the standard of journalism in this country, which I think I think we have. So your next piece of music, silly. Yes, uh, so this one is The uh, Crossing, which was done as a tribute to Johnny Clegg. Um, So Jesse Clegg and and a bunch of South African artists uh, got together and uh, filmed this incredibly moving tribute, and and it's a really great version uh, of the song.
And that recording was as a tribute from a group of friends of Johnny Clegg's put together by his son Jesse Clegg. And it was the second choice of my guest on People of Note this week here on Fine Music Radio, Stille Sharalambus, who's co-founder and CEO of the Daily Maverick, the online publication that's celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Do you know what I want to talk about now, uh, Stille, is thinking about your celebrating your 10th anniversary is your innovative membership program. Um, tell me what this is about, because apparently you've, there are models elsewhere in the world, like the Guardian and the New York Times. 
How does it work and how long has it been running? Yeah, so we've just finished our first year of Maverick Insider. Um, the reason for that is, you know, obviously as a digital publication and even, you know, most news media organizations around the world have been figuring out, you know, what sustainability looks like in the digital era where a lot of the advertising revenue that they could rely on was being lost to the classifieds companies, the Googles and Facebooks of the world. So as print was declining, uh, it wasn't being made up in digital ad spend. So as a digital-only publication, we felt the brunt of that for a long time, and we experimented with a lot of commercial efforts to try and make things work, and uh, and we needed to find something else. And uh, I went on a sort of a innovation tour to the States to have a look at uh, – you know what the big players were doing there and I went expecting doom and gloom and I came back and and found that there were actually quite a few media organizations that were quite positive and quite optimistic about the future and the ones who were were the ones who had figured out uh, the reader revenue problem uh, and how they were progressing with that so for the likes of the Washington Post and the New York Times um, who with a massive audience were able to convert a lot of people into paying subscribers um, you mentioned the the Guardian model as well which is more of a donation model um, and so we, we you know we kicked the tires around with this and, and we were adamant about one thing was that we would never put up a paywall um, South Africa couldn't afford for daily maverick content only to be accessible by people who could afford it because the impact of our work wouldn't been wouldn't have been felt by uh, the greater public that needed uh, that needed exposure to this kind of work. So we um, we did a bit of research and we uh, looked and found a lot of work had been done around membership. And the difference between membership and these other models is that it relies. Uh, quite heavily on engaging with readers. And so, you know, we, we, we don't put up a paywall. Anyone can access the content that we put out there, but members do get a special newsletter. They help keep Daily Maverick free for other people. So they keep our investigations free as a Puro and all the other good content that we put out there. And then we create a program and we build this community that they want to be part of. And uh, we share things that are going on uh, in the organization, things that we're thinking about. We ask for their feedback. We ask them to, you know, listen to, to listen to or read uh, um, new products that we're thinking of launching. And we involve them in the process. And it's been, it's been amazing. It's the, the uptake has been incredible. The support, the level of engagement, and, uh, and then obviously from that, um, the number of people that come on board is, is really starting to, uh, be noticed around the world as a successful model of how media can work in, in the new digital age. Here's a naive question. How does it work, Stilly? Say I wanted to become a member. What would I actually do? Yeah, so we, we have a, a sort of a you choose model. So uh, almost every page on the website has a way that you can find your way to the landing page of the Maverick Insider. You choose whether you want to contribute on a monthly or annual basis, um, and you choose the amount. And uh, depending on, on the amount that you choose, there might be an additional benefit uh, for, for some people. But generally, everyone gets the same, and it's a what can you afford and uh, you know, help us and be part of this community. And so that contributes massively, I should think, to your being completely editorially independent. Yeah. Not even these members are going to tell you what you should be doing. They yeah. can advise you and maybe, as you say, give you feedback. Absolutely, and and uh, a big part of this is uh, is listening to to our audience, and we're going to be embarking on a on a big audience research uh, effort uh, in, in the coming uh, in the coming weeks and months, and um, you know that doesn't uh, mean that it's we're dictated to. We just 
you know, we want extra information mm-hmm. um, about what our readers think, what they would like to see, what are we doing well, what, where do they think we can improve. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, they're part of the process. They feel they have agency and, and we have some really smart readers and members. And so why wouldn't we want them to be part of that? Mm-hmm. And so it's been incredibly rewarding to, to see how this is, how this is shaped up and how it's shaping every part of what we do. Because I presume uh, anyone could become a member. You don't have to be in a certain status in society or a certain wealth. Anyone can contribute a little bit of something and listen and be part of the whole setup. Yeah, absolutely. Even people who contribute once off. You know, mm-hmm. we have people who've uh, contributed 10 rand and 20 rand on a once off basis, and we include them in the greater community. Um, and we're, we're figuring out ways where we can, through non-financial or monetary methods, allow people to become part of the community who want to help. And um, we add them to, the, to this growing community of people who support the cause. Okay. And do, is there such a thing as advertising? Yes, we do. We do run advertising uh, on, the, on the website. It's one of the ways that we generate uh, commercial revenue through events and sponsorships and advertising as well. And, um, you know, funny enough, the, the membership program has been good for that side of the business too. You know, okay. as people become members and they, they get a closer look at what we're doing and what it takes to do what we do, um, people also putting up their hands and say, hey, I think my business could benefit from exposure uh, to the Daily Maverick audience, to these really engaged and loyal readers. And, uh, and we've had some great opportunities that have come up uh, out of the membership program too. You know how important figures are in radio and in the other media. Do you know how many, well, readers you have yeah so it's kind of split across various different platforms so we've just crossed the two million unique visitors a month to the website which is sort of our primary platform um, we then have about 115,000 newsletter subscribers that subscribe to a variety of different newsletter products that we send out and so we'll send in any given month about 10 million newsletters to those 115,000 subscribers um, and then we've got about 8,000 members who uh, have contributed to the membership program and so you know we're always constantly looking at this sort of funnel of like you know who are the new visitors who've, who's come once how do we get them to you know come again how do we get them to sign up to a newsletter and then eventually how do we get them to become a, a member and so it's part of this sort of almost funnel process of mm-hmm. of trying to keep growing every part of the funnel how do we get new people to find us for the first time and then how do we build loyalty and through habit yeah and do you advertise anywhere does daily maverick advertise so uh, we do uh, quite a lot of uh, promoting of our content on social media it's uh, it's turning into a bit of a, a love-hate relationship with the social media as the toxicity increases and the utility decreases um, we're figuring out we're still trying to figure out exactly how we want to play with social media we've promoted uh, our work mostly uh, through word of mouth and people sharing it themselves sharing it on social media emailing it Uh, and we've done sort of uh, some promotional work on uh, you know being a digital only platform is promoting our newsletters on on somewhere like Facebook Uh, but we've stopped doing that and we rely mostly on on referrals and getting our our loyal readers to encourage other people to sign up to newsletters, for example, Mm -hmm. or read our articles. I want to ask you more about those newsletters in a moment, but let's just take another music break. And I see out the blue a classical piece coming up. I'm very proud of you, (laughs) Stilly. 
Why have you chosen Vivaldi's Four Seasons? Yeah, um, so this takes me back to my university days when I was uh, when I spent a lot of time locked up in my room studying for exams, and uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons was I, I don't know where I got the CD from, um, but it was this one that I would just play on loop all the time studying for these uh, for these finance and accounting exams and they just became seared in my memory and every time I hear it it kind of takes me back uh, to the, to that time and uh, and we've chosen winter um, I guess maybe appropriately for how I felt in those uh, in those uh, in those freezing days yeah in those freezing days and, and also in those tormented days you know there's an incredible part of uh, riveting part of this quite dramatic yeah Here we go with Winter from the Four Seasons. Well, one of the movements anyway. Part of Winter from the Four Seasons by Vivaldi, and that was the third choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, Stili Karalambus, who is the co-founder and CEO of the Daily Maverick, which I've been telling you is celebrating their 10th anniversary in November this very month. Stili, we mentioned earlier, or you mentioned earlier about internship, because clearly you have attracted some fine journalists who perhaps have become disillusioned with some of the other titles. So you're working with really experienced journalists, which one can tell from reading your content. But apparently the internship program is very important to you, which is a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely. It's um, on a number of levels as well. It's it's our way of sort of giving back to the industry and, and our duty to the industry as well. And also as um, journalism has struggled with the economics and the politics of being in that business, in that space, uh, internships have suffered. 
at the larger media organizations. A lot of them have cut back. As experienced people have left, as economic cutbacks have caused re- re- reduced budgets, um, internships are one of the places that have suffered most. And so um, we built up a, a program where we take on eight or nine um, interns in our Joburg and Cape Town office, and we run them through this this program, which we've uh, built uh, internally. It's a bespoke program, and we get people, uh, incredible bunch of talents coming through, and we get them writing and doing some really great work very quickly. We're very proud of that effort. And one can't, this is me being slightly negative now, one can't help wondering where they will go to once they're finished. Because of all the money cuts backs with the big titles and things, and, and the editorial problems in some of the big titles, you do wonder where these people are going to go. Hopefully they'll stay with you. Yeah, so we've been incredibly fortunate that we've gone through this massive growth spurt this year, and with that has created the opportunity for us to be able to keep most of them. So we're actually going through that process now uh, of placing them into these different divisions and figuring out you know, who wants to stay, and most of them do. So it looks like we'll be able to hang on to most of them. Mm-hmm. And um, also without mentioning any names, do you agree that the standard of journalism it's not that great at the moment. It seems to have gone. It might be coming out of it, but some of the big titles, I have to say, that are very disappointing to read. I find it rather difficult to find something substantial, intellectual, that's not fake news and that's not editorially biased. I think you're being too kind by calling it <laughs> not that great, uh, Rodney. Okay. The, the state of uh, journalism is in a terrible space. I, you, you would know, say that. You'd go as far as to say that. It's terrible. It's, uh, I, I wrote a letter to our members saying that we are, we are so far down a hole, I don't think we'll ever come out of it. Um, and it's not only South Africa, although we are more far advanced in the decay than some of the other more developed markets, you know, like the U.S. and the U.K. that I've spent a bit of time um, looking around in. But um, it, 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 is, it is terrible. And I don't know if we have the ecosystem to be able to fix it. Um, on the one hand, you've got um, the politics, which is this constant thing that hangs over um, the ability of journalists to do their work properly and always trying to be influencing it. And, you know, we, I mean, we had organizations that were set up just to push out propaganda, for example. Mm-hmm. The SABC is in a mess. Uh, and then the independent media uh, have a commercial struggle that they need to work around. And very few titles and publications and organizations around the world are getting it right. And uh, in South Africa, if you're chasing, or anywhere, if you're chasing profit before quality editorial, um, then you're going to come up uh, short. Mm-hmm. And I think um, some of the media in this country are suffering from that. And the investment in quality just hasn't been there in the last in the last yeah. decade. It's sad, isn't it? Because we need a well-informed population if decisions are going to be made. And I was interested that you included Britain and America because, I mean, you think of the big titles there like the New York Times, Washington mm-hmm. Post, in London, the Guardian, the Times, the Telegraph. Are those newspapers not still at the top of their game? You know, it's, uh, I've just come back from a trip to both the UK and the US, and I came back with a lot more insight into the state of media in those, in those two countries where from the outside it can look like everything is, is going okay. Both are suffering from a, a crisis at the local news level. Um, and this, there that, that crisis is one of sustainability and how will local news outlets be able to, to keep going in, in this day and age and they need to figure that out and they aren't really making headway there. Um, the larger titles that you mentioned might look like they're doing okay but you know one of the elements of journalism that, that people sometimes forget is not only about what you publish, it's also about what you don't publish. And the feedback that we got from uh, a lot of people 
in the UK especially were disillusioned with the amount of stories that are being spiked, that don't get printed, that don't get published because people know the editor or the owners are of a particular political inclination or commercial uh, a commercial interest in in something or you know really almost you know buddy buddy type and this uh, is happening when you're talking about the big publications uh, absolutely yeah and and it's something that really kind of took us by surprise because we, you know we all kind of see these big titles been going for you know decades and some longer than that and and it's a problem it's not people are people in the know are, are seriously disillusioned with the state of media in the, in the UK uh, for those reasons, and then you know the U.S. has its own you know set of problems as well. Mm-hmm. Again, at the local level, um, but some of the bigger titles are are forging ahead, like the New York Times. So we see this sort of like mega player, like the New York Times, going forward and and succeeding, but below that, um, it, it, it's it's barren. There's a, I mean, people are talking about news deserts starting to 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 be formed. Uh, in areas where there isn't that coverage, and uh, and that's problematic. And then we have to deal with social media and people picking up news on their cell phones, which I suppose you can do with the Daily Maverick as, as well, obviously. Yes, I mean, social media was uh, was a great uh, boon for us to start with, to be able to, to, to get our content out uh, it, through that channel. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the... The utility now has has completely evaporated, and you know we debate whether we should be on social media at all mm-hmm. because the environment is just so toxic. There's no regulation. There's no effort by the likes of Twitter and Facebook to clean up the disinformation, the lies that are are being peddled. Or if they are making efforts, they are so superficial that they won't really make a, a big impact. And we see commentators who are. Um, asking whether countries in Europe, countries like the States, can ever have a free and fair election again because of social media. Mm-hmm. And if we're asking such profound questions like that, uh, we need to respond with with something to fix this problem. Gosh, Steve. Let's have another piece of music while we ponder <laughs> that. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, why have you chosen apart from its classic status? Again, it's a memory thing that takes me back, and I'm almost ashamed to say that my first exposure to Bohemian Rhapsody was through the Wayne's World movie uh, <laughs> of the 90s. But uh, just, I mean, it's an incredible song that has this history as it kind of you know, didn't do so well when it was first released, and then only later became this cult classic, and then through this crazy pop culture movie, this crazy teen movie, kind of got you know uh, slammed back into uh, pop culture, and it's just an incredible story and an incredible piece of music that so many people rate as you know one of the best pop songs of all time. So I just I love the story. I love its uh, I love its sort of uh, underdog status that came back and that should never have been, but is. Caught in a landslide No escape from reality Open your eyes Look up to the skies and see I'm just a poor boy I need no sympathy Because I'm easy come, easy go Little high, little low Anywhere the wind blows 
certainly a cult classic, that Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, the famous song by Queen. And it was another choice, the fourth choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Stili Sharalambus, who's co-founder and CEO of the Daily Maverick, celebrating their 10th anniversary this year, their online digital publication. But what I found interesting just in the last few minutes we have left, Stili, is that you said you've got a book coming out. Yes, uh, we've published uh, a look back at the decade of Daily Maverick. And, uh, you know, as storytellers, uh, we debated whether our story was interesting enough to write and put in put into book format. And, um, you know, we try and tell ourselves that, you know, encourage ourselves and our journalists never to be the story don't be the story and uh but this one time we, we're allowing ourselves to be the the subject of the story uh just because um it's been a hell of a ride it's been so incredibly tough and challenging and we've had to overcome so many hurdles and you know climbing you know we used to say climbing three mountains at the same time whether it was google and facebook whether it was government whether it was big established media figuring out how the business model and all of this works and you know how do we sustain ourselves and just continuously being worried about running out of runway and and you know paying paying our team Um, and so and then obviously being involved in some of the biggest investigations that affected the politics and the media landscape of this country and um, we went back and we thought well you know sometimes we're too busy and uh, we don't always celebrate the milestones and so this forced us to kind of just stop and and look back and uh, we hired um, two writers uh, to spend time full time uh, for a couple of months interviewing people, interviewing staff, past and present, uh, and uh, some very candid interviews that we had to edit down to make sure that uh, <laughs> they were appropriate for for publishing. But um, kind of compiling it on a on a year by year basis, how um, the the business story was was taking off and how we were keeping things afloat how the politics of the country was influencing the growth and the shape of the organization and the editorial bent of the organization, then how um, things like the big investigations like Marikana and the Gupta leaks, how they sort of came about and how we uh, made the decisions that we did. And and we share with the readers um, of the book some of the things that people don't really know um, happened. And, um, you know, we... You know, sometimes it feels like you're reading a James Bond novel. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, that's that's uh, we sometimes uh, take for granted that that our world is a, is a little bit more dramatic and scary than most people's. And, um, yeah, we just wanted to share that story with our readers that have been with us some since the beginning and uh, our members who've um, become members over the last year. And uh, this is our effort at, at telling that story. And we're also, if this book is a success, we will throw more resources behind starting a book publishing division because we have so many great uh, journalists who are authors themselves. And we think we can do things a little bit differently, like make the book available online for free for mm-hmm. people who Gosh. can't afford to buy the book. But meanwhile, this book about the Daily Maverick is going to be on your actual paper. You can buy it in a shop. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, we've had uh, pre-orders open uh, mm-hmm. for the book where people can, can get get their copy. We're publishing it ourselves. We're working with uh, uh, a group called Electric Bookworks to make it available online and to make it available in uh, a really readable format. So people who can't afford the book can read it there. And then obviously on EPUB and all the other Kindle distribution platforms. And then it'll be 
in bookshops as well. So, um, you know, I think people who want the book, who want the physical book, will buy it. I don't think there are too many people who would, you know, want to choose to read 100,000 words online. Um, and, you know, some people who buy, people who buy books these days don't buy it just to read. They buy it because they want the physical thing in their hands. And so we're, we're betting on that. And, uh, yeah, that's one of the interesting takes of how we're doing things a little bit differently. And is this book now available? It is, yes. So it's in, in bookstores. It's also available on through the Daily Maverick website. You can order it there, and uh, we'll have it delivered uh, to you. And, uh, yeah, you know, good bookstores everywhere, hopefully. <laughs> Still, it's been fascinating talking to you, and congratulations on your 10th anniversary here on the Daily Maverick and also on your innovative program, your membership program, called Insider, I think, isn't it? Maverick Insider, Maverick yes. Insider. And you've chosen, you've held off some Greek music, and we know that you're a Greek Cypriot, and um, I see your last piece is, in fact, Greek. What are we going to hear? Yeah, so it's not Zorba the Greek. Um, oh. I'm going to spare, oh your, spare your listeners <laughs> that. This is a, a piece called Somamu by Notis Vaganakis, and uh, again, it's a, it's a song from you know almost two decades ago, I think, and just kind of spent a summer listening to the song on repeat so i hope you enjoy it (laughs) thank you and thanks very much for sharing your story with us that was stili harambus as i say the ceo and co-founder of the daily maverick thank you thank you Απόψε πάλι νίκησες Και την καρδιά μου λύγησες Κάτω σκοτάδι μέσα μου η μοναξιά Σώμα μου καημένο δεν σε ορίζω πια Σώμα μου, σώμα μου φτιαγμένο από πυλό Σώμα μου, κάνεις ό,τι θέλεις στο μυαλό Σώμα μου, σώμα μου φτιαγμένο από πυλό Σώμα μου, κάνεις ό,τι θέλεις στο μυαλό Επαναστάθησε Χωρίς ψυχή με άφησες Οι ερηνίες θα έρθουνε όπου κι αν Στο δρόμο που πατάς 
αποπειλώ Σώμα μου κάνεις ό,τι θέλεις στο μυαλό Σώμα μου, σώμα μου φτιαγμένο αποπειλώ Σώμα μου κάνεις ό,τι θέλεις στο μυαλό Κάνεις ό,τι θέλεις στο μυαλό